And welcome to Pod Pod. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and this week we are talking to Nick Newman. So he's a senior research associate at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. And we're talking really specifically about the rise of news podcasts. And it feels maybe really pertinent because the day that we're recording this is the day of the cabinet reshuffle. Um, mm. So I feel like quite a few uh, news podcasts uh, had to throw out some emergency podcast episodes today um i haven't heard any of them yet but i'm really looking forward to them i'm joined as ever by reem makari and adam shepherd hello both how are you doing hello hello i'm very excited because for once i get to turn the tables on you because this week you are the news rihanna <laughs> yeah i suppose i am um in our tiny little trio because this week i am hosting a new podcast called the diff which is all in the in the kind of charity sector, which is very exciting and very different for me. Well, congrats on the launch of the diff. So I I wrote a news story about it for the launch, um, and I was also there on Fridays while you guys were recording in the studio. So I saw some of the guests that were coming in, mm. and I think it's a really interesting take that the podcast has taken to focus more on the storytelling aspect of the news to really make an impact so you get that emotional and human connection and not just you know facts being shoved in your face um how do you, how do you find it when when you were hosting do you know what? i've really loved it because it's quite a nerve-wracking area i think to to get into because first of all it's it's quite a tough one i think for for listeners why are they going to listen to a podcast that is set in the charity sector what what is their kind of in to that so for example like our first few episodes are about knife crime and the people we were talking to they were all just so kind of passionate about why they got into these specific areas one uh, team that we spoke to that are called street doctors and the reason they exist is to help educate people who might be um especially young people who might be either like first on the scene when it comes to knife crime or they might have to be the ones calling the ambulance or they might have to be the ones who are literally trying to stop um blood coming out of a wound and it's all about teaching young people what to do in these circumstances which i just think is really vital because it's not it's being very realistic about it it's saying these things are going to happen they're going to keep happening so other teams they are going to try and stop that but what we're going to try and do is try and make sure that these wounds aren't fatal and this and it's by kind of preparing people who are literally on the front line who are around when it's happening which is just such an interesting brilliant angle so yeah it's kind of thrown up loads of different things that I just wasn't expecting to be doing and I love that Mm. I also like the approach that it's taken a lot of podcasts that look to address issues like knife crime would be tempted to just focus on stats and cases and the more sort of investigative side of it mm-hmm. for want of a better term and i think it's uh, a really interesting and engaging approach to focus on as you say the the storytelling side of it which is something that we're seeing in a lot of podcasts dealing with sort of sensitive and emotive issues particularly in the kind of current affairs space 
during the BPA winners event, one of the Q&As that I did was with the Time and Again podcast. It's a limited series that features monologues from different men that have been to prison and how they built their life after coming out of prison. Um, and it had the same storytelling aspect that was that they were able to raise awareness about the prison system in the UK and about um, uh, how to get help and, and how to move forward in life without it being just you know like like you're saying the facts and stats and whatnot mm. i think it's very it was very very effective and it's a very engaging podcast i'm sure the diff would also do the, do a great job in doing that as well thanks yeah i hope so i feel like the whole point of it is that we're, we're hoping to reach people who can actually make a difference you know it's about make the diff make the difference it's just about kind of how can you the listener make a difference that isn't just I guess, like the usual annual children in need donation. And it's also just, it's very moving and really lovely to listen to, I think. And now people won't hear your voice just once this week. They'll hear your voice four times. Yes! <laughs> Lucky them! <laughs> um, so by the end of the week, you'll have all episodes in your feed. Anyway, I feel a bit embarrassed. So let's turn the tables back to Nick Newman, who I was really excited to talk to because he was one of the co-founders, very humble co-founders of the BBC News website, but also does incredible amounts of research, which is really useful, I think, to podcasters. Here's Nick Newman talking to me and Reen. Nick Newman, welcome to PodPod. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Very good to be here. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. We're kind of really going to do a deep dive into the world of news podcasts because we have spoken about that before on PodPod, but it's more to do with the, the sort of creativity. We've talked to the producers and presenters. And this time we're talking to you. You're kind of like the font of all knowledge when it comes to news generally. Um, so can you tell us what you currently do and when you first started researching news podcasts? Oh, well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, my love affair with podcasts goes back to, to 2004, you know, right at the beginning of podcasts, mm. um, partly because I was working at the BBC at the time. And and so we were very interested in this new way of reaching audiences and started to put BBC programs on it. But in terms of research, uh, so I've been at the Reuters Institute for the study of journalism for more than a decade. And I've done two sort of deep dives into, I guess, what I think of as the second wave of podcasts, which mm. sort of started in around 2017, 2015, you know, what was behind it? What were the motivations of publishers? What were audiences doing? And we, we've obviously seen this huge growth over the last five or six years. So we've been tracking that with a couple of industry-based research and then through our digital news report where we, we talk to audiences and we find out the extent to which they're consuming them and what kinds of podcasts they're using and what demographics there are. And very much in touch with publishers about you know why they're doing it and 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 how the how the industry is developing which i think is just fascinating right now it is absolutely fascinating and there are so many beginnings i think in your career and in podcasting and in news podcasting um i really want to ask about um the bbc news website before we get into properly the world of podcasting because you're the founding member or one of the founding members of the bbc news website i was part of the founding team and i ran 
the international news for the first five years editorially. In those days, there were about 30, there were about 20 editorial people. And actually, you know, it was mainly about text and pictures because people were mm-hmm. accessing via modems. So even the notion of downloading uh, something that wasn't even invented, like a podcast, would have been almost impossible in those days. So obviously, always on broadband um, uh, and what we now have, which is fast broadband, has enabled podcasting to happen in a way that simply wouldn't have been possible. We did have some some streaming of audio right at the beginning, but not many people used it because because the access speeds were so slow. Of course. Well, the reason I was wanted to ask you about that because I was wondering how attitudes have changed in terms of you know consumption of different news items because I suppose we've really have evolved from more traditional mediums. So yeah, how have attitudes changed since you sort of first introduced online news stories? Well, I mean, they were very limited by, as I say, uh, connectivity primarily. So it was text and pictures. Web pages used to take, you know, up to 30 seconds to load. So you had to be very mindful of um, the amount of content that you were pushing down the pipe. And most of that has disappeared. So I think what we're seeing right now is this sort of real burgeoning of of different formats, uh, podcasts being one example, but short form video, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit because, you know, that's overlapping with podcasts mm-hmm. increasingly, really exploding. And people are able to tell stories now in so many different ways, using very rich media, interactive media, participative media, all the things that we dreamt of in 1997, but uh, we couldn't realize at the time. You've been researching um, news podcasts for a long time. In your opinion, how have they changed over the past few years? I was involved in in the original sort of BBC project to put a number of podcasts on. I think In Our Time was the first Melvin Bragg program. And I think that was the first wave, really. It was just putting radio programs on, Mm. and primarily that was the BBC. The second wave, I think, really started with Serial, the the documentary true crime Mm. series, which sort of took the world by storm. So the arrival, essentially, of native podcasts, something that was designed to be listened to from start to finish in this more intimate manner, quite often through headphones. And uh, Serial was obviously a phenomenon which brought in advertising and investment and interest into podcasts. And then within the news environment, there was virtually no point in putting out news programming because by the time you downloaded it, it would have been out of date. (laughs) So um, that kicked off really quite late. When we started tracking this, I think that we could only find 17 daily news podcasts in 2017, when the Daily launched, January 2017, and that basically had um, increased by sixfold by 2020. So, you know, we saw this real explosion driven by um, faster connectivity, investment, commercial opportunities coming in. And, and the Daily was really a great stimulus for that. And obviously, there's lots of copy versions of that around the world, which are still really, really successful. So I think that that was the second phase. And now we're into the, to, to a, a, a very different world, I think. I said a lot of innovation around formats, um, a lot of extended chat, conversational podcasts, uh, a lot of political podcasts, a huge number of niche podcasts like uh, PodPod, for example, <laughs> um, you know, re- really finding an audience. And so, you know, it's not – I think one of the things about podcasting is that you can really super serve a very specific niche in the same way as you can with newsletters. 
Um, and and so a lot of the growth has come in in that sort of niche end of things, as well as big publishers trying to build bigger audiences as well. I think there's also like, there's been a big rise in popularity in news podcasts over the past couple of years. And now you look at Charitable, for example, and you'll see the rest is politics and the news agents are always in the top 10. Why do you think news podcasts have become so popular recently? Yeah, I think, I mean, we did some work also with Charitable um, a few years ago. And uh, based on Apple tags, we sort of analyzed the total number of podcasts and then what proportion were tagged with news. And then they had a new tag called daily news. And what we found was less than 10% of all podcasts are actually news podcasts. And only about 1% are daily news podcasts. On the other hand, news podcasts definitely outperform. And that's partly because of the volume uh, so obviously daily news podcasts quite often sort of six or seven in a week. And also just in terms of influence and impact, what we found in the most recent digital news report survey where we asked people in the UK who said that they consume news podcasts, which podcasts they listen to, we found quite a big gap between um, sort of big political podcasts like The Rest is Politics, The News Agents and Newscasts, which were well ahead of a lot of the sort of niche niche podcasts like the New Statesman Daily Podcast, for example, which is speaking to a smaller but important audience. So I think what we have got both in the UK and the US is some really big podcasts that are starting to deliver significant audiences and then a lot that really work um, for, for niches speaking to a much more specific one. So how do you categorise those those different niches, I suppose? Because as you say, there are the dailies must kind of just be like a brief overview, but then sometimes news podcasts will go on for an hour plus. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or even longer in the case yeah. of Joe Reagan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think uh, the, the way we sort of looked at it and, and we did also analyze sort of the length of specific podcasts, we, we talked about sort of micro bulletins, which were a thing a few years ago because of, you know, Alexa's and uh, Google home devices mm. uh, where you would, ask for the news and you would get maybe two two minutes so these mm. sort of flash briefings um that were often also delivered as podcasts so that was one category that i actually think will probably come back in the world mm. of ai but anyway we'll, we'll leave that for now okay. i think secondly the, the news briefing idea so something like up first which is uh, from national public radio in the u.s is very well listened to it's about 10 minutes long 15 minutes long and it you know it's basically designed as a briefing for the day and is very widely used then you have uh what we call deep dive podcasts so normally taking one subject and looking at it in depth normally 20 minutes because that's how long the new york times thought the average commute was in 2017 when they launched the the daily really <laughs> yeah examples of that would be in the uk today and focus which is very popular from the guardian mm. uh, stories of our times from the from the times and uh, the intelligence from the economists though that actually deals with a few more subjects mm -hmm. and then finally i think conversational podcasts or extended chat podcasts we sometimes call them which is you know people sitting in a studio two three people mainly men sitting around chatting about a subject and those are obviously much lower cost much easier to produce and they really produce the volume that advertisers like so uh, that's really where we've seen a lot of the growth and uh, the news agents and the rest is politics uh, newscast would be examples of those so that's interesting you pick up on the, the male aspect of it you know mainly men um why is that then what because can you what are the stats of male female-led news podcasts 
We found it was something like in the UK, 75% of the hosts of news podcasts that people most frequently mentioned uh, were male and um, 25% women's. And and I think, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of podcasts in the UK and political podcasts in particular for being very male dominated, very opinion based. Uh, I think when uh, Amal Raj and Nick Robinson were appointed as Today Programme hosts, for example. There was a lot of criticism and talk about that. I think publishers are becoming much more aware of this, and not least because the audience is also skewed towards male rather than female. So if you're looking for more female um, audience members for these podcasts, then probably you need to do something about the gender balance too. Mm. So in your digital news report, you also highlight the fact that a lot of the main popular podcasts, news podcasts, are all personality-led. So why do you think that it's important to choose, you know, the right hosts for those news podcasts? And are people listening for the news that they're actually giving or are they just listening for the host and it's because they trust them or it's because they trust their opinions? I mean, it's a great question. And I think, um, you know, obviously there are examples of podcasts that, that don't depend on hosts so much, you know, today in focus you know, rotates its hosts around a lot. But I, I think a lot of the connection with radio too is about how likable other pe- other people who are in your ears. You know, it's a very intimate medium and, and podcasts particularly so. And quite often if you talk to publishers, you know, they agonize a lot about whether, you know, their most famous TV star, for example, who's used to television broadcasts is really going to work in this more intimate environment. And so some people, some people work and some people don't. But I think that chemistry between the the host and the listener is really critical in podcasts because you have to want to come back. There's an informational content, but there's a connection involved in great podcasts too. And there's also, you know, if you have two hosts, then you've got the, the sort of chemistry between the hosts, which is part which is part of the magic too. In, in many ways, it goes back to radio, which has also been very personality-led. And in that sense, it's it, it, it's it's no different. Mm. And I think, you know, podcast is really just a way of, of capturing that in a slightly different environment. I remember a few weeks ago, I was at the IAB podcast Upfront, and one of the sessions was with uh, John Sopel from the News Agents, and he was talking about how with the podcast, they're allowed to be a lot more personable and allowed to talk more about their lives and even have some of their own opinions. And I think you see that a lot, especially with like more independent podcasts where journalists are allowed to have their opinion in the sh- in the show a lot more than if they were to be part of a, a publication. So do you what do you think about those hosts being allowed to be less objective? And do you think that's okay for the listener or do they need to have some sort of balance there there's a couple of things so one is sort of informality and entertainment so what people don't necessarily want from a podcast is just lots of information chucked at them you know maybe with the exception if you're if you've got 10 minutes just give me the news but in terms of these longer more discursive podcasts people are looking you know they're looking for friends they're looking for information delivered in a really accessible way and that means informality but i think you can do informality and also be impartial so something like newscast of course tries to do both of those things at the same time from the bbc as you would expect but even the news agents doesn't sound very different from the bbc in terms of impartiality maybe there's an opportunity to say a little bit more about what you think but if you you know if you take one side or the other side on something like Gaza or or you know contentious issue like gender, you're going to alienate huge parts of the audience. So most of the sort of conventional news podcasts are trying to be fair, balanced, objective as far as they can. But I think within the um, confines of allowing 
presenters to let their hair down a bit more because I think that really suits the medium of podcasting. So that that kind of brings into the conversation regulation because podcasts here in the UK still aren't regulated. So if, if they were going to do that, from your perspective, what would that look like? How would it work? Who would be the ones, you know, would it be Ofcom? Who would be the ones implementing it? Well, that's a really good question about regulation because I think it goes much wider than than podcasting. You know, you'd have to regulate social media, YouTube, and all the rest of it. Um, And I'm not sure there's a huge appetite to do that. I think I think the way in which the discussion is going is 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 whether you know broadcasters, partisan broadcasters like GB News or Talk TV should be regulated to a greater extent than they already are, Mm -hmm. and um, whether those rules need need to be tightened up in different ways. Um, Actually, if you look at the list of top 10 podcasts in the UK, most of them take a fairly balanced view. There are a few exceptions, most of them do. But that's very different to what's going on in the US, where you have many more highly partisan News podcasts, and there's a tradition of partisan talk radio in it, which is which is different from from the UK. So I think it's partly what what audiences want is going to be as important as what politicians or regulators actually um, actually do. And I think audience expectations in the UK are very different to 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 what people expect in the United States because there's so much misinformation online. As a listener, how do you go to news podcasts, or how do you choose news podcasts? that are not going to have that misinformation when there is no regulation? What are the things to look out for? I think this is not that different to, you know, any any platform. If you're on YouTube looking at a range of information, um, some of the signals you're going to look at are, you know, brands, popularity, recommendations from friends. And obviously that's a huge part of the podcast industry as well, the extent to which other people recommend something. Uh, clearly what we've seen is the explosion of content you know, the barriers to entry are incredibly low. Anyone can produce content, but actually, you know, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. And if people enjoy it, they find it balanced, it has a track record over time. Those are the things that are likely to continue to to, to make that podcast successful. Um, I just wanted to go back to talking about the hosts for a second, because I've just, I've, I've pulled up um, the digital news re- report um, and looking at the differences in the top 10s. Because in the American top 10, there are a lot of names in the podcast. So Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Rachel Maddow. Whereas with us, it's just, is Joe Rogan in our top 10, in the UK top 10. And obviously he's not a, a UK personality. Um, so what, why do you think that different? Is there anything that's come out of your research in that, in the difference between how the UK and the US um, consume their podcasts, why they're looking for kind of these more named celeb driven podcasts in America than over here? I think just a lot of it is to do with uh, with, with traditions. You know, if, if you if you go back to talk radio, uh, Russell Limbaugh, for example, you know, they built these great syndicated empires of huge numbers of people listening to often partisan political comment on the day's news. And there's a whole tradition of that, which is pushed into cable television. And many of those stars have become podcasters in their own right. And so it is much more built around those personalities. I think also in really large markets, a personality, often independent personalities, whether that's a newsletter or a podcast, um, you know, can attract 
a big enough audience. Whereas in many European countries, it's partly the size of the market, it's partly the culture, it's more about the brand that people identify with. It's it's changing, and you know I think the rest is politics. You know people identify very much with Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart. Personality is still important, but um, but I think it's really the brands who also want to make sure that they get the the the, uh, the credit rather than just the personality. And also, just because you talked about Rory Stewart and, uh, you know, Ed Balls is doing an economics podcast, you know, why do you think that ex-politicians are becoming popular news podcasters? Well, I think anyone can become a podcaster. They're definitely free to say what they like. And so they're free to be more outspoken and in many cases, much more interesting because, I mean, part of the <laughs> problem with politics is become, everything's become a bit broken. Mm. You know, politicians go on the radio to try and stop saying anything interesting and, and uh, you know, <laughs> journalists are trying to catch them out. And the result is that nobody is much the wiser. Whereas in some of these formats, and I think one of the reasons why they're really taking off is that um, people really – tell the truth in, in ways that feel honest and authentic, even if they don't agree with them. So that's quite refreshing because I think that, you know, people have really got fed up with how politics is covered, either this sort of on the one side or on the other side, and we're not really getting a lot of light out of that. Mm. So that's why explanatory podcasts, that's why, you know, ex-politicians talking about how it really is, you know, I think that's really resonated. Speaking of politicians, a lot of people are looking towards news podcasts now with the upcoming election and the Times as well just recently re released a podcast called How to Win an Election. What are some trends that listeners can expect to see with news podcasts uh, towards the upcoming election? I think, well, it's a great question. I think elections are really interesting because if you, you know, if you go back in history, a uh, newscast came out of a dedicated election podcast in, for the 2019 election and became a sort of a, a separate brand afterwards. The New York Times Daily was originally um, their election podcast in 2016. And then, you know, the idea of the Daily came, came, came after that. And so, you know, in the past, we've had these dedicated election podcasts. I think it's different now because we have these vehicles for which have audiences already. So I think one of the real challenges is how do you use Newscast or Americast or, you know, the news agents USA? How do you use the audience you already have um, to cover these events? So it might just be increasing the frequency of those um, podcasts for the duration of the election or for parts of the election. But I, I don't think we're going to see sort of special election podcast because launching new podcasts and building audiences for it is really hard now in a way that it wasn't sort of five years ago. And I think the second trend that we're likely to see is um, the use of video. So one of the most interesting trends in the last few years is the way in particularly conversational podcasts are now filmed. And the moments from those podcasts, you know, the, the, the moments of outrage or when an interviewee says something particularly interesting, those are then used virally through social media, either to attract people to the audio or to create a completely different audience through a different channel. So I think what you'll see is, you know, brands like the news agents and newscasts trying to trying to extend their brand in different ways through social media during the election, possibly with, with additional sort of election branding. The chance to have those conversations and those arguments on television, you know, did exist. And we had... Um, you know, the first thing that came into mind is this week with Diane Abbott and Mark Portillo and Andrew O'Neill. And that sort of extended chat 
different personalities kind of clashing um, values, I suppose. So how much have video podcasts or just podcasts in general impacted on those sorts of shows, on the kind of traditional television news shows? Well, I mean, everything is kind of converging in slightly unsatisfying ways. I mean, you know, we, we now have television programmes political television programs turned into sort of video podcasts and YouTube, Uh of course, are pushing video podcasts on the one hand. But part of the joy of a podcast is the audio, is that Uh you don't have to look at a screen. You don't have the video. So I'm I'm hugely conflicted about this. I think that, um, you know, I do think that in extended chat where you're, you're sort of discussing politics, you can, of course, film those things. But you have to be clear about whether this is first a podcast or first a piece of television because the skills are different. Um, and, you know, I, I am super interested in, in the sort of the short form video brand extension, if you like, uh, and marketing aspect of it. Um, and, I, and I do think that's going to become much more important over time. But I think if you're trying to produce a great audio product, it's only really going to work if you really focus on it being audio first. I've, I've seen some absolutely appalling, you know, audio filmed and then being put back on television. It just really doesn't work. So, so I, I am conflicted, as I say. I wanted to highlight your journalism, media and technology trends and predictions reports that you released at the start of 2023. And you mentioned uh, there that over 70% of publishers want to invest more into podcasts and the digital audio space. So if publishers decide not to invest in podcasting, what would they be missing out on? Well, I mean, first of all, why why are they doing it? They're doing it. um, They're not really doing it for the money. Um, so, so there there is some money in podcasting, but they're fundamentally doing it because they are looking for that younger audience that's really hard to get through other channels. And even though it's a an upmarket audience, it is younger, and people who are spending time with podcasts are spending quite a lot of time with podcasts. So it, it's incredibly valuable. It's valuable for subscription publishers who are looking to bring people into a relationship with former print brands. It's incredibly important for broadcasters who are losing younger audiences through traditional radio. So um, podcast is absolutely at the top of the tree along with newsletters in terms of sort of innovations and extra investment. And we've seen that this year in terms of, you know, global putting more money into it, Goldhanger expanding, the BBC expanding its podcast um, portfolio. In terms of what people are missing out on if if, if they don't, I think there are just a choices uh, in the digital landscape. You know, if you want to build relationships, you don't have to go into audio. You know, you could go into video, you could go into newsletters. There are lots of ways in which you can build into niches or you can build deeper relationships and loyalty. And I think some of this is just about choices, because if you try and do everything, then you probably won't be successful. So some others are just saying, right, we're just going to do a newsletter and a traditional text news website, and that's where we're going to focus. Um, but I think I think increasingly, you know, more publishers are trying to, to at least have one or two sort of flagship products that, that make the best of their journalism and audio as well. I had um, a bit of a shock the other day because I was out at dinner with my husband and his family, and his family had never heard of the news agents and I was like where do you get your news <laughs> and it's oh yeah they've got the more traditional roots <laughs> but it did it kind of got me thinking about you know that this podcast bubble that we're all of us at least are in so who did you find are actually listening to these news podcasts is it young just purely younger people or people who have always had podcasting in their lives or it does actually is it just they were very out of touch <laughs> No, I, I no, they weren't out of touch, and and I'm I'm really 
glad you brought this up because we do live in a podcast bubble. I live in a podcast bubble. Yeah. I'm sure you do. Uh, and, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts every week, but but the majority of people in the, in the UK don't. So according to our digital news report data, you know, about a third in the UK say they've consumed a podcast of any kind in the last month. And okay. only about one in 10 say that they've consumed a news podcast in the last month. So 90% haven't. And many people, um, and I'm sure if you you know talk talk to people um, you know across the country, will never have heard of the news agents or newscast or or the rest yeah. of politics. And uh, you know that's that in in one sense is a huge challenge because we've got this huge increase in the supply, and the percentage of people they're chasing hasn't really changed very much. It's grown a bit, but it's not mm-hmm. changed that much. So the competition for attention is really huge. On the other hand, you could argue that if only 10% or so are consuming a news podcast today, there's a huge room for growth. And I do think it will grow, you know, over time, um, you know, as more talent, more um, more interest from advertisers come, comes into the market as well. So, I, I you know, I, th- I think both things are true, <laughs> that it's quite constrained at the moment, but it is focused on those people who are really interested in news, who are better educated, who have more money to spend, etc. So do you have any sort of stats or numbers, sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here, but about the percentage that news podcasts make up in the whole kind of media world compared with radio, television, etc.? So the percentage of people who listen weekly to radio, I mean, the, the the best data for that would come from Barb. And that consistently shows that, you know, f- more people are listening to flow radio than to podcasts. So podcasts is still a minority activity, but mm. it is growing. And if you look at the advertising market, um, then most of the growth in terms of income and advertising income is coming through podcasting. So traditional radio is not growing uh, according to IAB, but the um, increase in advertising revenue, most of that is coming from podcasting. Just on on the advertising side of podcasting, because we cover you know both the advertising and creator side on this podcast. In terms of of news podcasts, because um, we talked a bit about misinformation, I think politics and news is considered a fairly like sensitive topic. So when brands want to advertise on news podcasts, how can they ensure that they're not getting involved with something that may be considered risky? Yeah, I mean, I, I said earlier that um, most publishers are not necessarily in it for the money. They're, they're, they're into podcasts because of the engagement and the depth of engagement it provides and because it attracts different kinds of audiences that they're really interested in. And that's partly because advertisers have been really worried about brand safety. And so they've steered away from anything that deals with, you know, something like Gaza or these intense arguments over over politics. Um, so it's tricky. And, and I also think, you know, around hard news subjects it's things like host reads are really difficult you know i was listening to george osborne and ed balls you know advertising doing the host reads it just feels very uncomfortable or even the news agents that do the same you know uh if if one of those big brands that's advertising you know becomes a story and often they do you know i think i think this is this is quite a challenging area so there are some media companies that say we're not going to get involved with host reads and they're giving up quite a lot of revenue when they do that there are other publishers that are trying to cut back on advertising and really push um for reader revenue either with donations or with subscriptions like the economist has just put almost all of its podcasts behind the paywall mm. uh, and you won't you won't hear adverts on that so i think advertising is obviously the main revenue source for many, but it's not it's not an easy one when it comes to news. How successful do you think that shift is or will be? I think currently very few publishers are going for 
um, putting their content behind paywalls. But I think we're going to see more of it. I think what you'll see is more of a mix. So the majority of news podcasts will be freely accessible, particularly around sort of conventional news sources. I think if you're dealing with something really valuable, like a niche, uh, there is going to be more paid content. Or, or there's a lot of publishers who are trying to release the podcast first on their own platform and then maybe a little bit later through a windowing strategy, releasing it to Apple or Spotify or whatever. And that's partly to try and you know get people to come directly and build these direct relationships. I would say one, one difference between you know podcasting and traditional media is the ability to break news because podcasting might require more time in terms of recording and uploading an episode versus being able to you know upload an article instantly. Um, so how, how good do you think news podcasts are at keeping up with that urgency and instantly reacting to news items? And do you think they're, they're getting better at it? I think podcast is kind of the almost the antidote to breaking news. So what we find in our research is that people are increasingly turning away from the immediacy of what's going on in Ukraine or Gaza. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of news fatigue about these big, difficult subjects you can't do much about. So I think what podcast is about is kind of explaining the news, stepping back a little bit. Um, and, and so I don't think it's a problem that news podcast is probably not the medium for t- for doing that sort of live immediacy. Uh, I think it's much more about sort of that standing back, that that bringing sort of personality, truth, um, understanding to some of these big complex issues. Because you weren't just looking at the UK and the US, you were looking globally. Were there any sort of major differences between the countries and their news podcast trends that really stood out to you or were very, very different from our own that surprised you? One of the um, one of the big differences, just sort of tradition of, of, of broadcasting, I've kind of mentioned already that uh, it's not surprising that U.S. podcasting has taken on kind of personality based, more partisan approach because U.S. media has been like that for some time. I think one of the other differences, certainly between Europe and the U.K., has been the size of the market. So in a lot of, uh, you know, the UK and the US actually have very healthy advertising markets around podcasting in general, and that is fueling um, the growth of from the publisher end. I think in smaller markets, that's much harder. And so I think we're seeing some very different models there, including much more use of paid podcasting, for example. And many of the commercial companies just don't think it's worth uh, investing because the size of the market is too small. So that has led the public broadcasters to be in a much stronger position. So I think in in Denmark and Norway, for example, the equivalent of the daily, which is the 20-minute sort of briefing podcast, is, is really much more dominant and the public service role is much more dominant too. So with everything that we've talked about, what do you think that the future looks like for news podcasts? You know, five years from now, how do you think we're going to be consuming the news, how both in the world of podcasting and outside of it? I think that it's very hard to project too far into the future. Um, <laughs> but 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 I think what I, I think audio is going to remain incredibly important and will actually become more important. The trend to, to sort of more audio, more video is, is, is something we're going to see. And podcasting is going to be a huge part of that. So I would expect podcasting to grow. I would expect news podcasting to grow, bigger names, 
uh, more niches, all the things we've talked about are going mm-hmm. to be true. And I think also the, the difficulty of defining podcasting is going to be really interesting. It's already getting very hard with, you know, video podcasts and, and offshoots from podcasts and live events to, to say what a podcast is anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, we should also factor in artificial intelligence and, you know, new interfaces, which will involve voice. So we have all these voice interfaces in in our homes and we're going to ask questions. So I think podcasts quite often will be give me the news, tell me what's happening in Gaza. That might be two minutes, five minutes. It might be read by automated podcast hosts rather than, uh, you know, the, the, the big stars of today. So lots of change, not entirely sure how to predict it, probably a new name. Oh, gosh, then we won't be able to be called PodPod anymore. Let's let's no, keep the name have, as it is. To, <laughs> you'll definitely have to change it. Change the name. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Nick Newman. Honestly, I was being really truthful when I said it's great to have a deep dive into a very like niche specific subject. And I know that news can go even more niche, but that was kind of pretty eye-opening. Reem? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really great. And I think news podcasts are on everyone's mind currently just because I feel like they keep coming up with new ones and uh, they're like, they've become people's go-to source of information almost on a daily mm-hmm. basis. So I thought it was a very interesting interview. I really wanted to um, hear your thoughts about uh, the regulation that, that we talked about in the interview, regulating podcasts, because I've actually written my dissertation on regulation of podcasts and I feel like my perception has changed since writing it so my dissertation focused on people like Joe Rogan like Andrew Tate where they tend to spread spread a bit of misinformation and they kind of build their own community of like almost like cult Mm -hmm. followers um, and that could be dangerous so at the time that I've written it I thought that yes podcasts should be regulated but I don't think I think that now I don't think it would be effective to regulate podcasts because what you might get is, you know, a lot of the restricted type of content, like something you would see at the, on the BBC, for example, mm. and you won't get the opinionated creative freedom. Mm. And I think that there are ways to regulate it for advertisers, for example. Like there's a lot of, um, with AI developments, they're, they're looking at um, context of episodes and whatnot, and then they're able to determine which podcasts are safe for brands and which ones aren't. So I think in a way that could be considered regulating podcasts, but to have a body that's restricting the content. I'm not sure I agree with that now, and I'm not sure that's something that I would want to see now. Well, also, you've got to think about how you would police it. Mm. I mean, there are so many podcasts. The reason that something like press regulation, for example, in this country is viable is that there is a limit to the amount of news outlets that press regulation covers and that means that you know bodies like um ipso can be viable regulators for podcasts it would have to be something where the hosting providers were responsible for regulating the content on their services do you think it would ever come down to different genres being policed in a certain way because you know we are talking so specifically about news for example and you can understand why news so specifically would need regulating i absolutely agree with you that in its current state that is impossible ah but but 
then you get into a lot of kind of gray area sort of things. Like, for example, Pod Save the UK. Is that news? Is that comedy? comedy? Is that satire? And, you know, the amount of bleeding over and Mm -hmm. overlaps that you have between different genres, I think just makes it such a gray area in terms of definitions that any kinds of guidelines you put in place like that are going to be so easy to circumvent that it's not viable. Mm. And also in the interview, Nick pointed out that if you're going to regulate podcasts, that you should be regulating social media as well. I think with podcasts, instead of listening to just one podcast with one host and using that as your go-to source, listen to multiple ones and see what other people are saying. And then you can kind of protect yourself. Like, I don't know if I really trust people that only listen to Joe Rogan, for example. Like, I think that, mm-hmm. that's a big mistake on their part. But in terms of news, I can see why podcasts like the news agents and like newscast and like the daily have become so, so popular because they are from trusted sources and from newsrooms and organizations that have a a variety of teams feeding into them. It's not just sort of one group of hosts that are kind of just producing all of the content. The thing is, podcasts are a bit, they're kind of exhausting to regulate. For example, with a social media post, that's something that's like very short form. You know, you're able to to look at an image or look at 50 words or something and then um, you can you can immediately see if it's something that you're going to uh, follow or not. With podcasts, sometimes the misinformation doesn't come until 30 minutes into an episode. So for you to regulate a podcast episode, you have to actually sit and listen mm. to everything that they're saying. And that's that takes a lot of time and a lot of like effort. So I don't, that's also one of the reasons why I don't think they could be regulated because it's either you're relying on AI to do that for you and that could be accurate to an extent but it's never going to be a hundred percent you'd have to go on buzzwords wouldn't you in certain words yeah just you know if there's a code or anything i mean we're going kind of to extremes but you know that's something that could be easily missed and i guess there's like we have the the bbfc for example with the with film regulations and putting certificates in place and they do have to absolutely sit through and watch every frame of every single film um Mm -hmm. which some people completely take the piss there's um director i know called charlie line who submitted a film that was just paint drying literally just to make <laughs> just to make the bbfc sit through it so you know that it could it it kind of gets mad if you're thinking about this on the scale that we have of podcast output mm-hmm. yeah it's it's like regulating the internet at yeah, this point yeah, like exactly. you can't you cannot. regulate every single website and every single blog post it's just not not feasible i think you can regulate industries at like an organizational level and that's why it's important to make sure you're getting your news from trusted accredited sources that have like a good standing you know in the the wider sort of media and journalism community Mm, yeah agreed i don't think that i like if i'm going to a news source that I'm going to verify it by listening to 10 other podcasts about the same subject that's you know that's just not a viable use of my time um but I agree that you 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 have to take some 
responsibility when it comes to what you listen to. So rather brilliantly, Reem has written a couple of articles all about the subjects that we've been talking about and you can also because I did this I used the pod pod articles to find my way to the digital news report that we were talking about with Nick I would really recommend going there if you want to find some more stuff so that's all on podpod.com and also as ever please do get in touch we want to hear from you editor at podpod.com and drop us a line on socials at podpod official because we want to know what you want to hear about thank you of course to Nick Newman for joining me this week and of course to Adler and Reem. Thanks both. The podcast is produced by Ollie Peart for Haymarket Business Media and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.